Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Hard to believe it's going on our 26th year here at Hillside. As Pete said, the relationship has been for, for 30 plus, and I think that uh, our family has been enriched because of that relationship. So thank you, Pete. Those are very, very kind words. Um, it's always a challenge when you get an opportunity to speak because, boy, you're set up for either some maybe cool things or maybe just drop the ball and be terrible. But this is for the new year, right, for this year. And I was thinking, what's a good way for us to start off? So I thought we might do this if we look at the slide up ahead. Which best describes how you feel? 2021 or 2021? Think about it. You'll get it in a second, all right? Or maybe this best describes how you feel. You were just dying to get across that line. And whether it's your personal life, your spiritual life, your practical life, professional life, this has been a challenging year, hasn't it? It's been a challenging year. But what I want to do today or this morning is is talk about a new year, some new disciplines, and a new you. I want to share a story from J. Vernon McGee, who was a, a Bible preacher. Um, and his radio ministry still goes on and on, if some of you have been, had opportunity to be blessed by it, I have over the years. And his radio ministry is through the Bible, and it's a five-year program, the bus trip to go through the Scripture in five years. But he shares a story. Right before World War II, when the city of Pasadena was having its annual Rose Bowl parade, the float that was entered by the Standard Oil Company was covered with American Beauty roses. It was absolutely magnificent. It was a sight to behold. But the theme of the parade was, get this, be prepared. And right in the middle of the parade, the Standard Oil Company's float ran out of gas. It stopped right where J. Vernon McGee was viewing the parade. And he shares this, I couldn't help but laugh, but if there was one float that should not have run out of gas, it was the one from Standard Oil Company. It should have had plenty of gas. As I looked at the float, though, he said, I saw the picture of many Christians today. They are beautiful on the outside, but they have no power in their lives. They have beauty, they have prestige, but no power. They're not prepared. You know, if you want 2021 to be different, and I know I would personally, Like that float that's out of gas, we have to be different, don't we? We have to do some things different. And for us as Christians, it's always that spiritual formation, those spiritual disciplines for us. So I'm going to be sharing some things that are not new, but maybe I'm going to share them in a way now that you look at them differently and realize how important they are. So we ask ourselves, how can we be ready for this year? Let me share a passage from 2 Peter but also for this very reason, giving all diligence to your faith at virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. You see this progression? And then he adds, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things 
is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Isn't that a great passage? If you forget you are short-sighted, and then even unto blindness. And the result of that is, is that we are unfruitful, unproductive, and those are terms that refer back to a non-believer, even though Peter is talking to believers in this passage. That means the life that you live can look no different than a person who's dead spiritually. And what a terrible place to be if we're not sure where we are. You see, spiritual growth happens through training, not through training. And we want to work now to get a lot of things figured out so that we can be spiritually prepared. We don't want to be that float that looks really nice on the outside, but then it stops the entire parade because it runs out of gas. Again, spiritual growth is training, it's not trying. There's an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something, right? It's effort versus earning. We can't earn our spirituality, but we sure have to put the effort in. Thus, spiritual growth and spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but it's training wisely. Even the scripture talks about it where success in any field requires work, practice, dedication, and ability to learn from setbacks. And when something is worth our effort, we throw ourselves into the task. And what makes us think that becoming spiritually mature is any different? The Apostle Paul wrote this to Timothy when he said, train yourself in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says the true indicator of godliness or spiritual well-being is growth in the ability to love God, love other people, as clearly taught by Jesus, which means you're not going to run out of gas. Let me share a story with you. How many of you have an Apple Watch? Raise your Apple Watch. God love you. I embrace you from up here. Uh, my family, uh, my children, Kyle, Kristen, and Corey, decided to get me an Apple Watch for my birthday, so it was past July. So it's, it's July 14th. If you'd like to get me gifts anytime this year, I'd appreciate that. But they got this to me for obvious reasons. I thought it was a cool watch electronically, but there was a, an ulterior motive. And that's because there must be some demon spirit in here for exercising that goes on, right? Or it categorizes everything that you do. And they got it for me because they knew that it would record everything that I do in terms of exercising. As you can see, I'm a small, demure man. And I did have to lose a few pounds, but I also have, again, a, a physical condition that I'm addressing as well, so exercising was important for me. And so when I got the watch, I started kind of about 20 minutes a day, I would go out, and this was back in July, so I've had about 100 and almost 70 days now of not missing a workout. And over time, what I've worked up to is, is getting up to about an hour and a half of walking a day. For me, that's about a five and a half mile pace. And I cannot believe, looking backwards, that I have done that for over 170 days. You know what I'm doing now? It, it's driving me nuts because I know I've got to get up and do it. As a matter of fact, this watch reminds me that I have to get up and do it. I don't like this watch. And then, to make matters worse, my son had a, a, an Apple watch, but Woodrow wasn't using it that much, and his wife had one. And then all of a sudden, my, one of my grandsons got one on my daughter's side, Kristen Cothran, who uh, works here at, at, at Hillside. And Huddy got a watch, and then um, another grandson of my son's got it, uh, uh, Landon, he got one. So the next thing you knew, we had about nine people. Carolyn got one, my wife got one, all because of Chunky Dad was now having an exercise tool to go out there and do things. 
And it was fascinating because you know what? what's interesting is we're all connected now. So we get to see what everybody's doing. I don't know if that's good or bad. But as we got into this, my son said, you know what, let's have a competition. Oh, here we go. And Dad, to get us started, since we're, we're young at this, smart Alec, um, I think you should double what your outcomes are and, and let us so we can compete fairly. I said, are you crazy? So the, the night before we were about to begin, I remember I'm in bed. This is 4 in the morning, and I get a text on my watch from my grandson, Huddy, or Hudson, and he says, I'm going to beat you. This is four in the morning. I'm getting texts from my grandson. Well, the game on at this point, right? And it's funny now when I look at Huddy's watch and his watch, he has a goat, greatest of all times. That, that represents me. So I'm humbled by that, the representation. But here's what I learned about that. I get no benefit from exercise thinking about it, though it can help establish patterns that I want to carry out. I have to get out of bed, I've got to get dressed, I've got to put on my shoes, and I've got to go. In many cases, I was getting up at about 5 in the morning and going to Bear Creek Park. Not many people out at 5 in the morning when you go to Bear Creek Park. I even had a couple of mornings when it was raining. But after you get into it for about a month and a half, you realize I'm not going to break that. See, so now I'm battling it. I've had a continuation of that, and I'm not going to not do it. You'll have to kill me first before I miss a day. And I put on a, a, a hoodie and everything else, waterproof, and I'm walking in the rain going, what am I doing at 5.30 in the morning at Bear Creek Park walking? But I saw the benefit immediately. And for me, it was some of the things that I was trying to address, again, in terms of a condition that helped me immensely. But I had to get up and do something. This was training, not trying. And I think for so many believers, we, we are frustrated by that option. A lot of us have good intention right? To try, but we have to stop now and shift it, and it has got to be a train, training element for us. Again, success in any field requires practice, dedication, and the ability to learn from setbacks, and that's what we get as we work with our spiritual disciplines. You see, we all know that training is necessary if we want to succeed in physical competition, but it's also true in the spiritual world as well. We learn to think and feel and act as Jesus did, and is at least as demanding as we run a marathon or trying to play the piano. We have got to make sure that we discipline ourselves. Let me ask you this. If you were about to fly in an airplane and say with your best friend to go to Hawaii, and before you turned right to go down the aisle to seats 20A and B with your friend, you turned left and looked in the cockpit, because as you know, before the flight begins, the cockpit door is open, and you see a 16-year-old with bottle cap glasses and a captain's attire on reading a book that says, how to fly a 747 for dummies. Who's getting on that plane? I agree, not. Or how about this? You're with a friend who's about to have a major surgical procedure the following day, and you're sitting down talking, and all of a sudden the door opens up to the hospital room and a doctor walks in, but it's not the surgeon that's gonna do the procedure. Rather, it's the local podiatrist who introduces himself and says, listen, Dr. Scapula, is not going to do your surgery tomorrow morning, but I've been reading up on this procedure and I feel really encouraged and excited. I'll see you at six. Who's going to have the procedure? All right, so we expect pilots to be trained well, we expect physicians to be trained well, but then we look at our Christian experience and we ask ourselves, am I trained well? And then we look in the mirror and we wonder, why am I running out of gas? You see the correlation? 
What's interesting about salvation is this. God, through the act of justifying us, that's his work upon us, declaring us righteous. We had no role in that. That happened upon us. Further, God regenerates us. We had no role in that. He did the work upon us. But now there's sanctification. Now he says, now you're going to work with me. What? You see, a lot of people love the fact that we get the get out of hell free card on the front end, and then we say, Jesus, I'll see you. Bye. See you in heaven. We have a beginning and we see the end, but we forget the middle. And we want to talk about the middle today. This is the training component that's important for us as believers. I struggle with this, but I'm still challenged by it. It's almost like food. I can ask God to bless the meal that I have, but unless I cut that with a knife and a fork, put it in my mouth, chew it and swallow it, and enjoy the nutrients, it does nothing for me. And the process of sanctification is ours to have that spiritual discipline to be trained and trained well as we go forward. And that's why we want to speak to the spiritual disciplines. You know, one commentator wrote, when our lives are not marked by genuine or God-directed spiritual change, we tend to look for substitute ways to distinguish ourselves from those who we consider less spiritual. We adopt boundary markers, highly visible, relatively superficial practices that are intended to quickly separate the insiders from the outsiders. And these boundary markers include conformity to specified forms of dress or speech or adherence to certain rules or behavior, participation in prescribed activities, and so on and so on. But they provide a false sense of security and superiority. Think Jesus' religious leaders that were always attacking him. Because they base their spirituality on what they did, not on the condition of their heart. Because ultimately, what you do is going to make itself manifest because of the change in your heart, your spirit, and your soul. And if we let God's word reside in us and transformatively change us, we'll see a different world. We're not going to be that float on Pasadena Avenue in Pasadena running out of gas from a company that produces gas. And isn't that the irony for the believer? We have a God that gave us all of his power and influence, and yet we run out of gas. So here's the main point. You know, with Jesus, the conflicts that he had with the religious leaders was because he took a radically different approach to looking at spirituality. Instead of focusing on visible indicators and spiritual transformation, he focused on what was happening in the heart, which is what we want to speak to today. His concern was whether or not people were being transformed and growing in their love of God and their love of people, and thus he recognized and realized that we needed some spiritual disciplines. So what are we talking about? And and again, nothing new, but I want to establish this to make sure we're all speaking out of the same perspective. Spiritual habits or disciplines or habits or practices and experiences that are simply designed to develop, grow, and strengthen certain quality of the spirits. In essence, we're building the muscles of our character to expand the breadth of our own inner spiritual life. They structure workouts which train the soul. Some spiritual disciplines are personal and inward, and we're going to speak to about four of those this morning. Some are also, and these are practiced alone, but some are also requiring interpersonal relationship. They're practiced in the community, and that's important as well. Think of it this way. Someone who's just starting to learn to play an instrument can only haltingly play with sheet music at hand and then only a very limited number of tunes. I remember when my children started learning the piano, it was the basic chopsticks. Remember that? It's kind of, oh, that's great. Keep going. You'll be great. You'll be Chopin sometime. But then the more you practice, what happens? 
Not only can you read music, but then you can play on your own without even having to think of it. And that's really what we're talking about here as we go forward. But we have to have discipline. You see, any activity that I can do by direct effort will help me do later what I cannot now do. We have to practice those things. I cannot run a marathon today by direct effort or willpower. If I went out and tried to do a marathon, I'd fall flat on my face. When I started walking, it was not easy, but then I kept doing it. And what I'm finding now is, is that I'm actually in a weird, twisted sort of way enjoying it. And I have developed that pattern so much that I've always got this watch or my grandchildren saying, hey, I'm gonna beat you, remind me to get out there and do it again. You see, a spiritual discipline is any activity that's gonna help me gain power to live the life as Jesus taught and modeled it. If you are born again and you're, a, you're a, a child of the king, you have to live a life that honors him. If you are a married couple, you all have to live lives to honor him. It starts with our own heart and soul, but then also the interpersonal relationships. If you are a Christian that works in a business, you have to honor Christ in what you do. Paul said, everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. But we have to train because it doesn't come natural. Even though we might have an inclination, that inclination doesn't validate that, in fact, we will do it. You know, when you think of how many spiritual disciplines are there, there's a lot. Now, I want to share with you, if you go on our website, I actually have, or we have, put on it, uh, I think it's surehillside.com, disciplines. And you can get a little sheet that we put together uh, that you can then download and print off. Now, I've read a number of books. You've got... Uh, uh, Vincent or Fa Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. You've got um, Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. There's a myriad of books that have been extraordinarily helpful to me. Those individuals can share the message much better than I could in terms of articulation. But, but take some time to look at those. Take some time to share them. And this morning, we want to focus on a few. Some examples, again, of disciplines are prayer, fasting, study, solitude, service, generosity, confession, so forth and so on. But keep in mind, though, before we begin, an athlete doesn't say, I'm only going to train in one area, right? I remember as a, uh, working in a discipleship group out in California before Carol and I moved from California to Texas, there was a picture, and that was when we used uh, overhead projectors with that crazy little stuff you used to put down. Remember those things? Am I dating myself now? And on that picture was a, was a, a, a skinny bones guy in, in his shorts and just that, and he had just terribly skinny, but he had this one massive arm. But the rest of his body was just skinny. And that picture always cracked me up because I thought, isn't that the truth? Most believers take one area and then they stay in that one area. And of course, the more you do it, the better you're gonna get. And then people, they become dependent on that one area. But then 95% of their body is suffering. That's why we wanna talk about training today as we go forward. You see, we need a collection, a regiment, a variety of disciplines because each discipline has something that it will combat or build into our character, into our spirit, and remind us again that we are to look at the heart and follow after Christ, loving God, loving others. And you have disciplines that are inward and disciplines that are outward, and I want to speak to disciplines this morning that are outward. I want you to be prepared. I don't want you to be like that float and run out of gas. So the first one is studying God's word. How many here raise your hand if you study God's word? Well, of course you're gonna raise your hand. You're in church, you don't wanna be caught with your hand down. We do that, right? 
You think, well, Jeff, I do that. Well, I'm asking you to do it with great intentionality, if we can kind of create a word for that one. See, study is engaging our minds with an objective order in God's word to take that order into ourselves so that we are in sync with the reality in a way that's good to us, to others, and to be obedient unto Christ. I wanna read the New Testament in particular. I wanna follow what Jesus did because guess what? He's asking us to do what he did. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, and Pete's gonna have a series that's upcoming and I'm excited about that because if you really wanna get a sense of how we are to live, that Sermon on the Mount's powerful because Jesus is contrasting what the religious leaders wanted in terms of doing things, thinking you can earn it, versus having a changed heart where you're loving God and loving man. And he flipped everybody upside down. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter five, the last verse of Matthew chapter five, you wanna hear a great encouraging verse? Jesus says, be you perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh-huh. Will that knock the wind out of you? But we can train for that because that's the aspirational for us to move forward and do that. The study of God and his word opens up the way for the disciplines of worship and celebration. You see, study and careful attention to what God reveals to us, especially through scripture, transforms us. That's what Romans 12:2 says, right? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We get that through scripture. And your mind's renewed, you're gonna think differently. If you think differently, you're gonna act differently. If you act differently, you're gonna be different in your private life, in your public life. And really what we want is we want congruity between private and public. I struggle sometimes because what I do in a certain way may not be what I do over here. And then I realize that's a disconnect. You want alignment. Now whether your Bible is hearing God's word, reading God's word, or studying, I mean, think about that. You can read his word, isn't that wonderful? You can, you can do it electronically. I've still struggled with the electronic text, though I use them because I'm still a paper guy. I like writing notes in my Bible when I do it. The unfortunate thing is when you write notes in your Bible, my penmanship's terrible, and then I, I obscure the script, and I'm trying to read the full verse, but I've got some great notes, though. You can, again, read your Bible. You also uh, get to speak your scripture out loud. You ever done that? Where you read aloud the passage, so not only are you seeing it, but you get to hear it and you are the orator of that particular passage. That's an important element, simple discipline, but we must do it. And then you can study the scripture, right? You get to look at the text, you get to look at verses, you get to look at words, you have a concordance, you have an expositor's dictionary, things where you dig deeper. You don't wanna snorkel your spiritual life away, you wanna scuba dive. And for so many Christians, we snorkel well. We see stuff but God wants us to scuba dive. He wants you to go deep and penetrate in that. And that's the training process that what we do. So what can you do in terms of Bible study? Set a time, make an appointment. Be consistent in your patterns for study. How many of you eat every day? Amen. Matter of fact, you know there's a passage where Paul says, I buffet my body. I'll get to you, it's buffet. But I have some friends in East Texas that say, it's, it, Paul said, I buffet my body every day. I want to buffet my body. But again, we want to make sure we set a time and appointment you want to study. Do you have a notebook to write down the insights or things that you learn so you can think back on those later on? Do you plan it out? Are you going to read your Bible in a year? I have an app that I've already started from January 1st where I'm going through the Bible in a full year again where I get a devotional, I get an opportunity to read Old Testament, New Testament, and I'm checking up. I'm three days good. 
Check with me in a week, see where I am, but the point is I'm on a plan. It's training, not merely trying. So again, having God's word deeply in us is important, and that, again, is gonna be something that we do internally. This is something that we do with God, but it spills over into our lives. So the first thing is to study God's word. Next is meditation on word, and that's the ability to hear God's voice and then become obedient to his word. Psalm 1 talks about that. If we meditate on God's word day and night, the transformation is gonna be, we're gonna be like that tree planted by rivers of water. And trees love water. They sustain well. I can remember we had a river oak in our house in Bedford, and we also had a drainage problem in our house. Thank the Lord we had that river oak or we would have had water in our house. That thing sucked up water like crazy. It was a massive river oak. But trees love water. Do you insatiably love God's word? Do you meditate upon that so you can savor the enjoyment of the truths that you learn so that he's telling you how you can love him more and love others to demonstrate that it's connected? Charles Spurgeon said this, I thought it's a great quote. Some people like to read so many chapters every day, but I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and to let it be sucked into the very soul till it saturates your heart. Set your heart upon God's word. Let your whole nature be plunged into it as a cloth into dye. What happens when you put cloth into a dye? Changes color. What happens when you put yourself into meditating God's word? You'll change your behavior. You'll change your heart. And that'll be a new reflection of that in how you live. Philippians 4.8 reminds us, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Meditate. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2 again says, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting. Mind, heart, and soul. It's internal. You want to reach down to the depths. I see them as connected. And once that reaches into your heart, into your soul, into your spirit, that's when the dynamic occurs. It's not merely intellectual ascent, but it's a dynamic change because we see things from an eternal perspective. So not only do we want to study God's word, but we want to meditate. Remember, meditation, think of practicing his presence. You get to think about that. No matter where you are at any time, anywhere, how easy was it for you during the time of COVID and all the crazy changes we went through to practice his presence? Were you practicing the dilemma of what was happening in the world or did you find yourself moving that aside because you were clearly focused on what God wanted you to do? I had times when I got sucked into the battle of that. But God's just saying, no, 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 come back over here. Meditate on my word. Read, read aloud, memorize, reflect, journal, don't rush. And then the things that you learn when you meditate, pray them back to God. Pray them back. He teaches you a principle. Now you have the opportunity to pray that back. And when you pray it back, you're going to hear it. And when you hear it, you're going to think about it. You see how this cycle goes? And it's going to filter down to your soul, to your heart, to your spirit. And then all of a sudden now your foot leather is different because your behavior is going to be changed as a result of that internal change. So we have scripture reading, we have meditation, but then we also have prayer. And this is one that I still feel like I'm a learner in this area. It means a lot to me. Simply, prayer is communicating with God. 
I think the best passage is in Matthew 6. We're going to learn from that from Pete when he does the, the uh, uh, study of the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew 6 really changed my life on prayer for two reasons. One, the disciples, I like to think of myself as a follower of Christ, asked the Lord, Lord, will you teach me how to pray? And Jesus gave us what? And I'll tell you how to do it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to think in terms of their vertical relationship with God, but also with their horizontal relationship with humankind. But it was interesting to me, it wasn't merely the prayer that got me. It was then he also described, let me tell you the best way to do it. He says, you go to your Father who is in secret. He didn't say invite a friend, invite your family. We have to pray with friends and family. But he says, you go into that secret place, that quiet place. I think of an Old Testament, maybe comparison to that quiet place or that dark place, that secret place would have been when King David was uh, being chased by Saul. And he was in the cave at Agilum. You remember in the Old Testament? Was that not a dark place? You don't think he was thinking about, oh my gosh, what's going on, but it enabled him to be centered to get focused on what God wanted. He battled his emotions, he battled his anger, he battled his fear, but he also had opportunity to have victory as he focused on who God was. And what did God do? Interesting. Guess who shows up in the cave to relieve himself? <laughs> the guy that's chasing him. Now my first reaction is, I got him. See, that's my secular mindset, right? I got him. But he realized, no, after reflecting, that's God's chosen. And he didn't do that. So I'm going to challenge you that when you come into prayer, God says, go into that place. And remember, go into that secret place. But he says, go in and then, here's this, shut the door. Shut the door. God doesn't merely want you looking at where you need to go. He doesn't want you walking around it or pointing to it. He wants you to walk in, shut the door, because he wants an audience with you. Is that not a great invitation? And then what he says is, your father who sees in secret will honor you in secret. That's the omniscience of God. God knows all things. I often think about, in my own spiritual life, that I'm never as worried so much about what God knows about me as I am what others might find out about me. Isn't that terrible? Because I can pretend. I got it down. I can be spiritual. Or we can try to be real. But remember, go into that room with them. Spend time with them. When I go in, what I found is, years ago, at Mid-Cities Bible Church, quickly, when we were doing a Bible study with navigators, one of the study lessons we had to do was we had to have a two-hour prayer time. Two hours. And I kept thinking, are you serious? I didn't even talk to my wife about it. I thought, oh, okay, we'll do it. And I'm thinking I'm going to bring a magazine or something else with me. Two hours? Give me a couple of sentences and I'm done. Let me tell you, that first 15 minutes, that was the toughest 15 minutes I think I've had in a long time. But then all of a sudden, two hours was done and I didn't want to stop because I, I pushed through that barrier. And I had a relationship with him that has not changed since. In my own personal life, I've got a closet in my office. I barely fit in there, but it gives me an opportunity where I dark, I turn the lights off, I put a towel at the bottom, I don't want any light coming in, I want silence and I want to be able to hear him. I can lay on my chest if I need to, and I can talk to him that way, I can stand up, I can move around. Whatever it is, I want to find that quiet place where I can have that time with him because God is inviting me to spend time with him. That's transformative. It's transformative. 
1 Thessalonians says, pray continuously. William Barclay once stated in his commentaries, prayer is not flight, prayer is power. Prayer does not deliver a man from some terrible situation. Prayer enables a man to face and master the situation. Isn't that great? So when it comes to prayer again, you've got to make time for it, just like Bible study, just like meditation. You've got to make time for it, or you'll make time for appointments, or if we want to get our nails done, or we want to go shopping, or we've got to do certain things, we'll make time for it because it's important. Start thinking, of, are you making time for these disciplines in your world? Think of that cave of Agilum. Think of that separate place where you can go where it's just you and God. Uncomfortable as it will be, that'll be a place of great rest and you'll learn to hear the voice of God in ways that you hadn't before. Even for couples, here's a recommendation. How about if you go for a prayer walk around your neighborhood? People think you all are talking and just having a great time, but you're praying. You're probably praying for your neighbors. Maybe you're praying for each other. Maybe you're asking for forgiveness because of an attitude you had that wasn't the best toward your spouse. You can pray walk as well. You're not limited. You have that opportunity. So not only do we want to study God's word, meditate on God's word, then we want a prayer. And again, look at Matthew 6. It's a great passage that explains that. But then we also want to, another personal discipline we can do is fast. Boy, that's a challenge for America. <laughs> We've got food on every corner, right? We're always thinking about what we're going to get. Just, isn't that amazing? If we could somehow fix our brain to want God's word as much as we want food... I think the Lord would come back and we'd be in heaven right now. Fasting is abstaining in some significant way from food and possibly from drink. Fasting is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. The function of fasting is to teach us how to be sweet and kind when we don't get what we want. What happens when you don't get the food you want? Are you happy? Are you kind to people? It becomes difficult. It becomes a challenge, doesn't it? You see, fasting is abstaining from eating food for spiritual reasons. It's a focused time of spiritual dependence on God to sustain you and almost always is accompanied by prayer. See how all of these disciplines kind of link into each other? Various types of fast could be partial, could be absolute, but fasting is another discipline expected by God with various purposes, such as strengthening your prayer and overcoming temptation. Let me say this. Disciplines, again, is all about training. It's not about trying. You've got to do it. Oh, that sounds like a Nike commercial. Just do it. Just do it. You've got to discipline yourselves as you go forward. Some other disciplines, again, are solitude. That one frees us from being controlled by others. We get to, again, have that time, a moment with God. Silence frees us from having to know it all. We get to say, Lord, what is it you want me to have? Just be quiet. Set aside time for that. Submission is an external one, either to your family, to your church, at work. Do you have a submissive heart where now you are learning that discipline? to be responsive. You say, no, I know what's right, and I'm going to tell them what I think. Well, maybe God's telling you, no. I want you to listen and do. Confession frees us from isolation because I know when sin enters our life, we don't run to be with people. What do we do? We typically hide because we've done something wrong. That's a natural reflexive reaction, but that means God wants us to come to him. Giving or generosity frees us from worshiping and worrying about money because we realize it's his anyway. And it's a way for us to invest in the kingdom. 
Simply, simplicity frees us from a life full of anxiety. Celebration frees us from boredom and pessimism. And I'll leave you with this one again in Proverbs, where the scripture says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I will conclude with how we started this. There was a parade in Pasadena during World War II. The Standard Oil float was magnificently created with wonderful flowers. It was mag just a beautiful float. Standard Oil Company has fuel for vehicles, and its float ran out of gas. My challenge for everybody in this room and my challenge for me is let's not run out of gas this year. Let's not try this year, let's train. And let's use the spiritual disciplines afresh and anew to get us there for 2021. Thank you all. Well, I hope you're challenged by that. Uh, I tell you, he doesn't mess around. It could be a real pain as a friend. It could be a real pain. Um, so I've, one of my favorite times of year, this time of year, is to do some personal reflection. I love to do it with Gail. We do it together. And then uh, I like to do it with my kids. So if you haven't had that just family conversation about, hey, how's 20 going to 21 going to be better. Um, I hope you'll give some thought to that and share it and talk to each other about it. Um, but I will say this. I have a lot of categories of my life that I want to make some adjustments to. But if you don't manage your soul, if you don't come up with things specifically to manage your soul in 2021, you'll run out of gas. So... If you think you got to get your finances in order and that's got to be the priority of 2021, or you think you got to get some relationships figured out, uh, or you got to get your house in order in some way, those are great. They're not the most important thing. Managing your soul is. So I just want to challenge you with that. Next week, I'm going to sort of build on that a little bit in a little different category. We'll talk more about that kind of stuff. And then we'll start the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the third week of January, somewhere in there. All right? All right, let's stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed. Thank you, Lord, for a great day. Thank you for this challenge. I uh, uh, pray we'll take it to heart. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>